0: My, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Zach. I'm the pastor here at The Grove, um, and we'll be, we'll be uh, preaching out of the book of Mark this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 14. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. There should be a hard ba- uh, black one somewhere around you. If you don't have a Bible at all, uh, that, that black one is our gift to you, so you can take that home, and that could be your Bible. Um, but we'll be in Mark chapter 14. We, at the Grove, we preach verse by verse through the Bible as our primary mode of teaching and preaching here at the church. Um, and so we've been going through Mark for, um, about a year and four, four months. Uh, and we are, we are nearing the end. Um, but I think it's all been good. So I'm excited. We're in Mark chapter 14. So what we'll do is we will, um, in a minute, we will read, uh, these verses together. We'll, we'll kind of pick it up in verse one and we'll read through, let's say verse nine. Um, but before the service, there was a song that played. And I know a lot of us were talking or getting coffee or just entering and that's totally fine. But that song uh, was by uh, a worship group out of Texas called, called the, from a church called the Austin Stone uh, out of Austin, Texas. And that song was called Jesus is Better. And there's some, some uh, lyrics I just want to read from that song because it's it's one of my favorite songs of late, um, and I think it just needs to be like the anthem of every believer. And so the the, the song goes like this: "Is in all my sorrows, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. In all my victories, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Than any comfort, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe." And I, I think those lyrics, those lines resonate so deeply within us because this world we live in is absolutely filled with sorrow. And the only way we get through the sorrow of this world is to is to is to know that Jesus embraces us and holds on to us and walks us through the sorrow. But I think even even more than that, I think some of us um, in our in our victories, we, we get so caught up in the things we've accomplished and the, the schools we went to or the jobs that we've gotten. And even in our victories, we just need to know that that uh, those things aren't ultimate. Your job, your wealth, the the things that you've done, the the spouse you landed, those things aren't ultimate, but Jesus is better than even your victories. Um, God has done this neat thing where he's placed eternity in our hearts. And so um, all the things of this world just don't seem to satisfy us. And we see that all the time in culture, when we, when we read of uh, Hollywood movie stars who have everything our culture says that we should aspire to, you know, fame, uh, wealth, friends, popularity, all those things, they're still um, getting, they're still, you know, going through life, um, purposeless and they're going through life and there's, there's, um, suicides out of Hollywood and, and drug use. And so you see this idea where you get all these things and yet it's not enough because there's this idea in the Bible that God has placed eternity in our hearts, that he's designed us in such a way that this world just can't satisfy us. And that's good news because what that does, that drives us to other things. And, and the prayer and the hope of the gospel is that will drive us to Jesus. And that in knowing and experiencing him, we would realize it's better than anything that this world has to offer. But we struggle to believe this. My favorite part of that song is that part where it says, make my heart believe. Because I could intellectually understand that, yeah, you know what? The Bi- I believe the Bible is the word of God. and The Bible says Jesus is better than everything else. I, be- I understand that. But man, it's so hard to believe that sometimes. When that sorrow just kind of overwhelms your life. It's hard just to believe that Jesus is better. It's hard to feel that Jesus is better. When, um, when things are just going so well that you have such victory in your life and just, man, like, you got that job you wanted, you got that house you wanted, and man, just things feel right, it's hard to remember that Jesus is better. So it's, God, I know Jesus is better, but I'm not feeling it right now, so would you just make my heart believe? Make me believe that he's better than sorrow. Make me believe that he's better than riches. Make me believe that he's better than comfort. So the question is, and that we'll get into today, is do you believe Jesus is better? Do you, right now, believe Jesus is better than all of those things? You know, maybe some of you hear this, this you can kind of sense him and him calling you to do a certain thing in life, but it would, it would cost, it would, it would be a sacrifice. You'd have to give up something, whether it's something as trivial as like a certain TV show or a person um, that you spend a lot of time with. or uh, or as big as comfort, job, house, you kind of sense this calling, but you have this sinking feeling in your stomach because you're petrified of the cost that it'll take to obey him. So the question in those kind of moments are, do you believe Jesus is better? Whatever the call of God is upon your life, you're constantly going to be asking yourself, is this worth it? Is this cost worth it? Is it worth it? Is laying my life down as a husband for my wife and all the sacrifice that comes with it, is it worth it? Is Jesus better than that? That's constantly the call. The call at your job is, is me working hard and doing things the right way instead of taking shortcuts and corners like all of my other co-workers do, as much more time and as much more difficult as my job's going to be, is it worth it? Is Jesus Better? Is it worth it to have integrity? How drastically will you allow your life to be changed if you've said yes to Christ? We all become paralyzed with fear at the cost, what other people may think, yet the question still remains to all of us Will you obey? And that question is answered by that simple question, do you believe Jesus better? Because if you believe Jesus is better, you will absolutely obey. There's no, there's no logical reason not to obey when, when there is going to be a high cost because you know what you're going to gain is so much better than what you're going to lose. It just mathematically makes sense. I should obey because I will have what I really want, which is Christ. So we're going to read a story today about a young woman named Mary or a woman named Mary rather, I should say, of Bethany um, and she did something very costly for Jesus. So we're going to walk through that story. It's out of Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark uh, chapter 14. And we'll pick it up at verse one. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for, bur- for bur- burial. Burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So Mary did something very costly for Jesus. And we'll, we'll kind of break it down and talk through why that was costly for her. But she took the best of all that she had and she offered it to Christ. But she was only able to do so because she believed Jesus was better than all that she had. So as we look into this text and kind of dig through it, we're going to answer three questions. What did Mary do? Why did Mary do it? And how was Mary able to do it? And from these questions, we'll learn that by knowing that Jesus is better and knowing him more fully, we'll be able to do anything that he calls us to we'll be able to do and obey anything that he calls us to. So a woman comes in, and so I called her Mary because in, in Matthew uh, chapter 26 and John 12, they share this, they, they, they recall the same exact story, and they actually tell us that it's Mary of Bethany, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So if you remember the story of Lazarus where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, that, that uh, Lazarus had, had been dead, he'd been dead for three days, and, um, and he said he's just sleeping. Jesus said he's just sleeping, and everyone kind of laughed at him or got mad at him. And so he went and, and, and raised Lazarus from the dead, and there's this kind of sense here that they're kind of throwing this thank you party for Jesus. And I don't think that's totally uncalled. Like, if someone raised your sibling from the dead, like, it might be time to throw, like, a thank you party. I feel like thank you cards are probably not enough for that. Um, so, he, so they're throwing him a party. They're having this dinner um, and, at Simon's house, and Simon at one point had leprosy. He doesn't have leprosy anymore. And the, the kind of feeling is that, you know, presumably Jesus healed uh, Lazarus of, of the leprosy. But between Simon, his family, Jesus, his disciples, there's this, there's like 20 probably or so people attending this party and everyone's having a good time, enjoying conversation. You guys ever been to a party and kind of just, every, everyone's kind of talking and just enjoying um, a good time. Then all of a sudden this woman, Mary, walks in and she's got this, uh, this flask and she's about to do something that's gonna just cause the party to come to a screeching, a screeching halt. She comes in with this alabaster flask of ointment. It's, it's pure nard. And, and this ointment was very costly. It was this very really costly perfume. In fact, the text tells us here it was, it was more than 300 denarii. Uh, uh, one denarii would be like a, a, a day's worth of wages. And so this would be around, um, around a year's worth of wages. So we're talking, if we're talking about modern times, this is a flask that would have been worth... Uh, of of ointment probably worth somewhere around $30,000 in spruce pine. It's around $30,000 flask of ointment. She takes it. She broke the flask over Jesus' head, anoints his head with oil, uh, this this ointment. Everyone started scolding her and yelling at her. And the reason why they responded like that is because of how costly it was. They said, you know what? Like, that you, just, you just wasted everything you had to pour some sort of oil or ointment on Jesus' head. You could have, if you didn't want it, you could have sold it and given all that money to the poor. You could have done something better with that. You, you, you've, you've sacrificed the security of your family, how much money your family could have had, um, the safety of your family. If something terrible was to happen to you. You wouldn't have the money or the finances to fix it. Yet Mary took this valuable possession, broke it, and poured it over Jesus' head and his feet. In one extravagant display of love, Mary was telling Jesus that you are worth more to me than anything that I have, that all of my possessions, all of the things, in fact, you are my most valuable possession. And I give everything I have to you. And just one act of love, she communicates all of that because this, the, no longer is this flask of ointment um, her security or her safety because for her, Jesus was better than all those things. Jesus was better than all of these things. So the question this morning is, what is your alabaster flask? What is the thing to you that brings you safety and security, the thing that you value most? And again, these could be good things. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't own an alabaster flask full of $30,000 worth of nard, whatever that is. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't own these things. So these can be good things. Your, your flask, your greatest possession could be a good thing. It could be your family. It could be your spouse. Like you don't want to. Lo- if you lost your spouse, you would lose everything. If that, if that, what is your alabaster flask? Is it your job? Is it your savings account? Is it your house? Is it your children? What What is it to you that is your most prized possession? What's the most valuable thing in your life that if it were taken from you, it would mean that you've you've lost your sense of safety, security, and hope. I'm not saying you need to give it away, but do you sense this feeling from Jesus to to surrender that to him and to give that over to him that if he was to take it, you would be okay because he is better? Because things like that could happen. I have um, a dear friend of ours, uh, of of my wife Margie and mine, um, or Jeff and Angela Atkins. And Jeff and Angela Atkins, uh, they did our premarital counseling um, they are just a wonderful couple. They have, um, they've had four uh, beautiful girls that they um, have have raised. And, and, and uh, um, when I moved here, uh, they, we started doing a premarital counseling and we went on a cruise kind of in the middle of that. Um, it's like, kind of like a vacation before the wedding. And so we, we went on a cruise with, Mar, with Margie's family. And, and when we got back from that cruise, we had a voicemail. And we listened to that voicemail. And the voicemail said that Claire had passed away. Claire was their, uh, their daughter. And she was around eight years old when she passed away. And it was sudden. It wasn't like she had this illness. Um, it wasn't that she um, had anything that they thought was wrong with her. And they were kind of just fighting and battling. But all of a sudden, one day, she, she loved to climb. She would like climb um, the doorpost, like she would just like kind of like spider her way up the doorpost to the top. It was super scary uh, for me, um, but she would climb all sorts of stuff and she climbed this tree and she fell out of the tree and she broke her arm um, and When she broke her arm, they took her to the hospital to get everything fixed and what they found out in the hospital was that she had a, uh, a brain aneurysm and that and that, that uh, ultimately is what led to her her death and it was It was incredibly sad and, and, and for Jeff and Angela, it was probably one of the, the most sorrowful moments in their life. I remember. We came home from the cruise. I remember waking up. I was at the Bomars' house, and, and I walked out of their hallway, and I see Jeff walking downstairs. And I remember um, asking Jeff, I said, hey, because I, I just used, I, this is the first time I've seen Jeff since everything happened. And I said, hey, man, how are you doing? And as soon as I said those words, it was just like an instinct to ask someone how they're doing. Um, obviously at that point in my time when I asked that question, I obviously didn't care because I was just asking uh, instinctively. But I remember as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was like, man, I, would, I should wish I would have, wouldn't have asked uh, how he was doing because I know how he's doing. It's probably not really good. Now we have to talk about it and I don't want to make him uncomfortable. It was like all this stuff. was like, man, like, I was so an idiot. Like, why did I ask that question? I remember asking that question and through the deepest possible pain and tears, he told me that him and his family were going to be okay, that they are incredibly sad, and incredibly hurt, but that they're going to be okay because Claire was never his to begin with. But Claire was always God's, and that He was gracious enough to give her to them for the time, for the eight years that they had her. And see, it's that kind of belief that Jesus is better that can lead a dad, days after losing his daughter, to say that He's going to be okay. That I'm broken, I'm sad, I don't know how we're gonna be okay, but I believe because we have Jesus Christ and He's better than all things that we will be okay because he is my prize and he is my portion. He's everything that I need in this life. There's tons of things that I want. I wanted to walk her down the aisle. I wanted to be there for her throughout her life. I wanted to see her kids. I wanted all these things, but I know that Jesus is better. And it's that kind of belief that will allow you to be open-handed with all your possessions, whether you have a family or don't, whether you um, have your kids and they raise up and, and, and they have kids of their own or they don't whether you get that job or not, or you keep that house or you don't, all those things can be lost and you will be okay knowing that Jesus is better. Mary didn't stop at just breaking the flask. And and we we read in, in Matthew and John that she also bent down and began wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And um, in, in the Near East, uh, ancient Near East culture, um, a woman's hair was her glory. And she would, she would keep it up um, at all times. And the only time she'd ever let it down would be uh, in the privacy of her own home in front of her husband. And so uh, the idea that we read in, in, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and John of, of Mary letting her hair down and wiping Jesus' feet... Um, is, is a scandalous thing. Not only was what she did was fiscally irresponsible, what she physically did with her hair was, was just scandalous. And it wasn't anything biblically wrong with what she did, but culturally, you just wouldn't show your hair to anyone but your husband. And so she did this and, 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 and you can kind of see that she's breaking all sorts of social norms and etiquettes, but she doesn't care what people may think because Jesus is better. She wanted to offer him the best of who she was, displaying absolute confidence in him and letting her hair down. By offering this flask and offering her hair, she was offering everything she had and everything that she was to Jesus because she believed he was better. Why did she do it? We read in verses six and eight, it says, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. See, ointment was pure nard, and this was something that was used for the purpose of anointing and preparing dead bodies for, for being buried. It was costly, and it had a very strong smell, um, so strong that it could cover the stench of death. So Mary poured this because she knew that she was not going to have Jesus forever. Jesus has talked about his death several times. In fact, uh, the disciples should know about his death. The, the scribes and Pharisees should know that he's going to die. He's, he's predicted not only that he's going to die, but also that he'll be raised again. In fact, we saw some of it last week when he talked about the tearing down of the temple and the rebuilding. That was um, him talking about uh, you know, the tearing down of his, of his body and the rebuilding of his body. And so uh, metaphorically, So we read this and we, we know that Mary knew Jesus was going to die. And so she prepared him and, um, and, got, and, and, and did something that was him, getting him ready for burial. She had heard him, she had believed him, and she used the best ointment to anoint his body. But I, I don't think it was just because she knew he was going to die. I think it's because she knew that he was going to die for her. Because if you knew that you, one of your best friends was going to die for you, would you have any problem giving up 30000 to $40,000 and offering that to them? Because if you, gave it to, you could give it to them instantly and just knowing that they're about to die, but not just die, but to die for you, I don't think we'd have any problem with that. I don't think we'd have any problem letting our hair down or whatever I could do um, and wiping this person's feet. I don't think we'd have a problem with that. Um, And maybe we would. I think some of us might still do that, or not do that. But Mary definitely did it, and she believed Jesus was more than just a man. She believed Jesus was going to die for her. She believed Jesus was going to sacrifice for her. She believed he was the God-man who would raise from the dead. I think many humans are willing to die for other humans, but only one was able to rise again from the dead, Everyone else is just people who die for others. And I think it's a great thing to die for someone else. But to raise, to die in the place of someone else and to rise again from the the dead is not just a mere human, but it's someone that you would bow down and worship like Jesus. Mary knew that seeing him raise Lazarus from the dead, that he was no mere human being, but that this was God, God who could come in, in the flesh of man. And so I think that's why Mary did what she did. It's why she anointed his body beforehand for burial, Mary had a proper view of who Jesus was. What we're able and what we're willing to give Jesus shows us our view of who we believe Jesus is. Because the reality is, if there's things in your life that you're holding on to and you're just unwilling to give over to Christ, that if you say, you know what, God, you can touch all areas of my life, but this one area, I don't want you to touch this. This is mine. My family is mine. Don't you dare take my family away or whatever it is for you, whatever your alabaster flask. if that's your life, if you say you could touch everything over here, but you leave this alone, then that just shows what your view of Christ is. You don't believe he's better of all things. You might believe he's better than most things, but he's not better than family. You'd rather have a wife and children or a husband and children. You'd rather have that job than have Jesus. You'd rather have financial security than have Jesus. what we're willing to give Jesus shows us who we believe he is. Mary's response and affections were so proper and so correct and so matched the worthiness of Jesus. Jesus said in verse nine, he said, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. That's absolutely true, right? Because we're right now sitting here in Spruce Pine some 2,000 years later talking about what Mary did because it was so correct and so right that three writers of the Gospels included in their, in their writings, and we have that. We have it here. We're talking about it here to remind us and for us to look at how is your heart? How are your affections for Jesus? Like, do you ever reach a point where you feel like your heart is just going to burst because you just love him so much and you want to show him how much you love him. And you're just willing to give up whatever you have and just leave it all behind to, to make him known, to know him more, and to make sure other people get to know him as well. And I think oftentimes that's kind of one of the reasons why we planted this church, is because we don't see that very often. We read, you know, we've gone through this before. We read through the through through the text of Scripture, we read through Psalms, and like Psalm 42, and it says, As a deer, it's, it's up here, as, as a deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for thee, O Lord. And so we read, we read verses like that. We're like, there's this deer who's, who's dying of, star, of dehydration. Do we ever feel like that when we don't feel from the Lord? Does it feel like dehydration to us? Or is it kind of just life, like normal life, everyday life? Not hearing from the Lord, not experiencing the Lord is just kind of the norm. For, for David, writing the Psalms, it was like a deer dying of thirst, and so we, we started this church, we wanted to preach the gospel fully to people so that we could get to the point where the, the Christian norm is when we don't feel God, when we are we're absent from his presence, we feel like deer dying of thirst. We want him so badly. In fact, we would be willing to give up everything else for him. How was Mary able to do it? If that's what we want for ourselves, what we want for this church, if that's what we want for this community, how was she able to do it? How did she come to this proper, full view of who Jesus was, even in a time when his own disciples were missing it? I want to read, I don't have it up here, but I'm going to read Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a man named a woman rather named Martha, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. See, Martha was busy serving and doing all these things that she thought was right. But Mary was just sitting at the feet of Jesus, fixated on him, listening to his teaching and taking him in and and getting to know him more and more. In Luke 10 and throughout the Gospels, we see Mary continually at the feet of Jesus, hanging on his every word, learning from him. In John chapter 10, when when Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, Mary was throwing herself at the feet of Jesus, weeping on him. In Mark 14 here today, we see again Mary at the feet of Jesus, anointing him, cleaning his feet with her hair. Whether it's her learning, her weeping, or serving in worship, the constant position of Mary is being at the feet of Jesus. And that's what we want here at the Grove is that we're just constantly at the feet of Jesus being transformed by his teaching, being transformed by his love and who he is. And so we'll always point back to the cross of Jesus Christ. I've I've said it here many times that I basically have one sermon. um, Just we come out of a different text in Mark every week. And that sermon is that, man, God is so good. He created everything that we see. And when he created all this stuff here, The world, he created all the world and all the animals and and the light and the sun and the moon. He created all the stars, he created all these things. And he created it and it was good. And he created man and woman and it was very good. But see, then man and woman decided they wanted to be kings of their own life. They didn't want to submit to the king of the universe. They wanted to be their own kings, their own rulers. And so they took it upon themselves and they raised Cain, thank you, Adam. Um, And so they raised Cain and they, uh, that was an allusion back to the uh, dad joke that went over actually surprisingly well. Um, but they, 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 they left, they, they were kicked out of Eden because of the rebellion against Christ, uh, against God. And so, and so we, as part of that family of humans, we have rebelled against Christ. We've rebelled against God, the King of the universe. Any time in our life where we've said, God, you know what? I know that your word says this, but I'm going to do it my way. Cause I think that's better for me. In 2017, 2018, I know what's better for my life. I'm going to do it this way. We've rebelled against the King of the universe and said, I know what's better for me because we've done that, we've made ourselves enemies to God. But the good news is the Bible doesn't stop there. But the story continues. And in most of the Bible is God marching history to a certain point that in a certain town, a baby was born. And that baby would grow up to be Jesus Christ and he would die in our place as a rebel against God. Even though he never rebelled against God once, he would die the death that we should have died as, as rebels. And he died that death for us. And, he, and on the third day, he raised again to show us he has power over death. And he has the power to give us life. And see, the gospel isn't that um, Jesus gives us the ability to, 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 to follow him or anything like that. But the, the power of the gospel is that Jesus gives dead men life dead women life, that at one point we were dead in our trespasses, but God has given us life and we're free and we're, we're allow, able to to follow him. We're able to love him. We're able to learn from him and, to, and to, to sit under, sit at his feet. And so we'll always come back to the cross and we'll always come back to the feet of Jesus. In fact, just four days after the story, Jesus is going to die. And there weren't a lot of showers back then. So I just wonder, and this is, this is not biblical, this is just me wondering out loud, and so I'm gonna step over here so you don't think it's from the Bible, but I wonder if Jesus on the cross, if he, if he still smelt that nard, if it was still in his hair and still in his beard four days later, and he, in every breath that he took on that cross, he smelled the love of Mary. He smelled her sacrifice because it was still lingering on him. And see, so we'll always come back to this. And the reason why Mary was able to give up everything was because she truly knew who he was and she had experienced the transforming power of Christ's love. That's what his love does it transforms us, it changes us. And so the reward is that we get Christ. It's not that we get more safety or security in the sense that we want it here on earth. It's not that we get um, the better job or we get the family or we get the husband or we get the spouse or whatever we, we're looking for. The reward isn't that we get those things if we follow Christ. The reward is that we get him. And he is better. And so we'll close here and we'll, we'll have a couple songs that we can sing and you guys can stand. And, and these might be new songs to a lot of us. In fact, what we'll do is one of the songs we'll sing is that song, Jesus is Better. The words will be up here. It might be your first time hearing it again, um, so you might not know the words, but my, my prayer is that you would use this time to either sing and worship to our Lord Jesus or just to search your heart and like, where is your alabaster flask? What is it? What, what is God, Jesus calling you to give up? What, what cost is Jesus calling you to count that you may? Let's pray. Father, I just uh, just come before you, Lord, just so thankful. Uh, for this time this morning where we can just dig into your word, Lord, and, um, and read it and get to know you more, Lord. And I just pray that, uh, that it also read into us, God, that, that, it's so that you just search our heart, Lord, and just reveal to us what our most prized possession is. And I pray that we would see Jesus, your son, is better and be willing to give up all things to know him more and to be in, with him even more. I pray for everyone here this this morning, Lord, that as they leave this building, Lord, that you would just continue to pursue them, to pursue their hearts, to to even go before them, Lord, to prepare the way for them this week and and all the the callings that you have for them this week, Lord, to to pray, to talk to their friends or neighbors, Lord, that you would just go before them, prepare the way for them, God, um, and bless them as they leave, Lord, and keep them this week. Um, I pray for everything um, that you've done for us, Lord, here at the church and just individually. We just thank you for those things, Lord. Um, we love you. And I want to pray this in your beautiful son, Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys.